church, you can let this one wash over you or you can stand up and worship the, the call is yours. Get up for this one and sing it together.
I get an amen? You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. Happy Sunday on this beautiful day. Thank you for joining us here at La Jolla Community Church. I'm Nicole Pearson. I'm a member of the Board of Trustees here, and we just want to welcome you. And if you're new visiting here today, we're glad you're here and would love for you to join us on the, ta on the patio at the guest information table where we can give you a Bible and get you plugged into everything going on here in the life of the church. So right now, we would like for you to go ahead and stand and greet one another. I don't sit down so quick. We got some worshiping to do.
10,000 reasons. That's just scratching the surface. There's so much to thank you for, Lord, and so much to worship you for. So, God, we want to give this church to you. Steve is uh, preaching today on the subject, Jesus' disciples thrive in community, and we are a community. We're one body for you, Lord. We're one family for you. So we hold up all of our family members here. You know our needs, God, better than anyone. We deliver them to you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you fall upon us and be with us here this morning. And we want to right now, God, pray as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You're the Lord of all creation. 
exhale, and you may be seated. Uh, earlier we did the Lord's Prayer, which we love doing the way God taught us to pray. And now we want to sing that, and Deneen's going to lead us in this.
I get an amen after that? Well, we are in a series called Thrive, and Thrive is really trying to understand what it means to uh, experience what God has done in Jesus Christ. Uh, heaven uh, saturating earth, uh, not a makeover of earth as much as earth being redeemed by heaven, and, and specifically God himself redeeming the world that he has created. And so we started this series at the end of April. Following Easter, we said, well, if Jesus rose again from the dead, uh, what are the implications of that? And, and the obvious one was that, well, he wants us to thrive. He wants us to thrive in the face of adversity, in the face of all kinds of uncertainty. He wants us to be able to experience what has been set in motion through his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, his promised return, uh, sending his Holy Spirit. And so we're exploring that in the series. And so today's the last, uh, last uh, edition of the series. We're going to jump into a new series for the summer starting next week called Who is My Neighbor? I think we're going to have a lot of fun with that. Uh, but we wanted to finish this day by, I'm going to wrap this up, about uh, the fact that we thrive in community. But I thought at the, at the outset, it would be great to hear from you. Uh, what helps you thrive? We'd love to hear maybe five seconds, ten seconds from you about, well, here, here's what helps me thrive. And in life, in Christ. Uh, and, and so it's not a sermon, it's not a lesson, it's just give us a heads up. What, what are you learning about thriving? We, we're going to have Dave Colvard with a mic walk through the room, and if you want to say something, either he'll hold it up for you, take it, but give it right back, if you would. And so, so David, anybody over here want to tell us what they're learning about thriving, how they find themselves thriving in life? Put your hand up and David will stop. And I can't resist a mic. Um, I thrive by being in God's Word and going to Community Bible Study, which um, is an awesome group of women in the community, all different ages, all different backgrounds, and um, it's just an opportunity to come alongside um, women who have all different types of experiences and be in God's word and have unity in that. And in that, I find I truly thrive, and it helps me get through the times where I'm having difficulty thriving. I'm able to see it and change my perspective and my attitude to see it the way God is showing it to me instead of how I'm just feeling it. So that is something that really works for me. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Anybody in this section here before David goes back further? Anybody here want to say anything? I thrive when I church and make it, you know, make it here. And if it, you know, don't blow and get here, then I thrive when I'm with everybody in the fellowship. Mike, thank you. Okay. Awesome. a little thing but it's so powerful because it is reading God's word every day and <clears throat> trying to follow it because if I don't do it I notice a big difference in me in every way I don't have the same strength and then more than that even more than that worshiping him through his word Um, I thrive since I've been into the, the little Bible studies. I've learned so much from the other women. Um, I've been able to give back to the community, especially um, women I've met in the Bible study that are going through difficult times. Um, 
<clears throat> there's a lady that her husband's passing away that um, I've been connected to and been helping her out a lot lately. So through the woman's Bible study, I have learned um, a lot of God's word and I've really been thriving. Thank you. Just put your hand up if you want to say anything. I thrive in sharing God's love. Anybody else? And the music. Oh my gosh, it was wonderful today. She always makes me cry. <laughs> I'll have to say that I thrive a lot when I'm serving, serving God, serving here at church, and serving home and in my community. Anybody else? Thank you, David. Well, as you think about this on the way home in the car, you go, oh, darn it, I meant to say that. <clears throat> um, I hope this gets you thinking about your experience of thriving or not thriving. Uh, because whether or not you might be in a place where you say, it's impossible for me to thrive, we want you to leave here today with the sense that maybe not. Maybe I can thrive actually wherever I am in whatever circumstances I am. And that thriving is not so much accomplishing some heightened sense of everything is great, but thriving is, is being grounded in the reality that God wants to live in and through you and give you the life that you were created for. So thriving is a way of engaging the world, not necessarily through, through um, wonderful circumstances uh, or through horrible circumstances. It's, it's, it's walking through this life in the presence of God. And so really the big, the big idea that we've been carrying through this service or this series uh, is that I want to thrive, not to survive. Surviving is great. If you're facing some life-threatening issue, uh, surviving is pretty good. But as a way of life, uh, generally speaking, survival is just not enough. Why? Because we make life too small. Life, when we just see it as a matter of survival, re is reduced to uh, birth, school, work, death. Uh, some basic stages. I'm born, I go to school, I work, and then I die. I'm just surviving one day at a time. It's possible. If you've ever read the, the book, Man's Search for Meaning, uh, an incredible book by Viktor Frankl about his experience in a, in, a, in a concentration camp in World War II. Somehow he was able to thrive. It, he just, and how? He just chose to live one day at a time with hope. Uh, and so thriving is a very profound feature in life. And we understand that the source of that is, is God himself. And so uh, uh, live or die, thriving is more than surviving. Live or die, life is more than surviving. When the Apostle Paul sat in a, in a prison writing to the Philippians, he said, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get out of this alive or if I'm going to die here. Uh, but he said, you know, I'm torn. Because here in this place uh, of deprivation uh, and degradation, I'm thriving. I'm thriving in Christ. And, and, if, and if I'm reunited, reunited with you, we're going to thrive together in Christ. And if I go to be with the Lord, I'll be thriving in him. I don't know what to choose because I'm thriving wherever I am. Uh, it's flourishing, that's what thriving is. Definition of thriving is flourishing and prospering. And so we see it as flourishing and prospering together in Christ because ultimately you cannot thrive in solitude and isolation. You cannot thrive in solitude 
or isolation, but to, be, to protect ourselves out of our shame, out of our fear, out of our uncertainty, um, our sense of unworthiness. Why would anybody want to be around me? Or I'm so fed up with people, I'm not, I don't want to be around them. Uh, we pull back. Either we're still engaged with people, but we've internally pulled back, or literally we pull ourselves away. But, but, but that's just a, a, an ineffective way of engaging life, because ultimately uh, we become prisoners in our own very small world. Thriving is all about ultimately being in a community, and community is not an ideal. As soon as community itself becomes an ideal, it becomes an idol. Uh, Bonhoeffer wrote a great book, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, in the face of Nazism, confronting Hitler, he wrote a book called Life Together. He said the, the danger in coming into this community that they were creating is that we're going to idealize it and therefore we're going to destroy it. Because it's not a projection of our ideal, our vision. Community is the gift of God drawing us together in, in communion around him together. And therefore it gets really messy very quickly. And as long as it's an ideal, uh, it's going to blow up. As long as it's real, a real encounter with the living God as, as living people in his presence, then all of a sudden, community becomes transformational. And the, the, and the introvert can be uh, in solitude as they need to, the extrovert can be um, in solitude as they need to. And they can also then be in, in deep company with each other. So in him, we can face uncertainty, fear, or adversity. And this is not a, a statement or an act of denial. I'm pretending things are just great. Nothing is wrong. Rather, it's, it's a decision we make. I'm going to live in relationship with the living God and see what it looks like to thrive in him in the face of all circumstances in my life. I have seen people become as easily unwound in failure as in success. I have seen people become unwound in deprivation and I've seen people become absolutely unwound in affluence. So go figure. <clears throat> There's no simple way of, of talking about thriving other than to say God himself will show us what it means to thrive. And that's the big deal of the morning. If you get nothing else out of this, the trusting Jesus is not denial, it's a decision. And so how do you thrive is the big question. How do you thrive? And there's so many ways that we can thrive. Uh, exercise. You might think, well, that doesn't sound very spiritual. But what we've learned, if we've learned anything in this process with, with uh, Jesus, is that all growth is spiritual growth. That is not to say that everything is a Bible study or everything is... is, is um, Something we'd say, well, that looks inherently like a Jesus thing uh, as you're lifting that weight. But what we're saying is because God made everything and is redeeming uh, all creation, as we respond to him, everything is a tool in his hands to form us into who we're going to be. Everything contributes to our overall well-being. So all growth is spiritual growth. I've known people who would say, I'm an atheist. Until I went to counseling, I started to unpack my, my inner world. And it came out of there with a sense that there might be a God and I want to know him. I've had people who would say, I went into counseling as a, as a Christian and I do it like this because their idea of a Christian was keeping rules and living up to everybody's expectations. They said, in the midst of counseling, I, no longer became, I was no longer a Christian in the mode that I entered counseling. I realized I, what I was calling a Christian was a person performing for love and hoping I might get acceptance if I just faked it until I made it. Instead, I came out of counseling realizing, realizing to be an authentic person is to be alive in Christ. And so this is the profound nature that even exercise becomes part of our expression of thriving, as does sport. If you've ever been on a wave, the power of a wave will exhilarate you. The power of, of a snow slope on a board or on skis is profound. Uh, the, the, the Jumping off <clears throat> the cliff there 
in a hang glider uh, uh, is pretty powerful. You know who was the first person that, that jumped off uh, a hill in La Jolla and, 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 and was parasailing? I don't either. So anyway, so uh, just... Um, <laughs> no, it was Charles Lindbergh. In 1930, Charles Lindbergh uh, jumped off Mount Soledad uh, in a sailplane and flew around La Jolla and said, this is awesome. Uh, so sport exhilarates us. Uh, if, you've, if you've ever done any rock climbing or ice climbing, if you've ever been sailing and you got... You, you know, you, you are just going, this is awesome. I'm, I'm not even in the water anymore. I'm coasting on, along the water. I've got my spinnaker out, and it's awesome. Uh, so this is the power of God's gift to us, is that we can thrive in so many capacities, and sport certainly is one of them. Uh, adventure. Take sport to another level. When you're doing things that put you at some level of risk, not that you're being reckless, you're just saying, I can't control the elements here. I heard somebody say uh, uh, yesterday, uh, what, what, they said, what's the craziest thing you've ever done? And, and this person said, I landed on an aircraft carrier at night. I said, that's pretty crazy. And all I could think of was, were they expecting you? You know, because that's the crazy, <laughs> that would be really crazy. You know, hey, who's this guy? You know, uh, adventure is a powerful way to thrive. Uh, getting up on a snow slope. And when you get to the top, you think, this is amazing. Looking around at where you've been or looking at where you're yet to go. Uh, resting, I think, is a profound way of thriving. You know, sleep is your friend, right? I, I admire you people who can just lay down and take a nap like that. Uh, I have to be sick as a dog to take a nap, you know? But taking a nap is profound. Uh, you know, the Swedish Navy did a bunch of research about 20 years ago, and they found out that if, if their sailors got better rest, they had a higher retention rate on the boats, and therefore they had more continuity of talent. They found that there were less accidents, and they were better prepared to do their job. Uh, it was such a profoundly Im impressive experiment that the U.S. Navy adopted it. And they were doing this interview uh, of, of the, the youngest and the, the most uh, effective commander in the U.S. Navy. And they said, so what's your secret sauce? What's going on here? He goes, I learned it from the Swedish Navy. Let everybody get a lot of rest. Are you getting enough rest? If you're constantly pushing yourself, uh, you know, I, I, I could hear somebody right now saying, I don't have time to rest. You know, Satan doesn't take naps. And I'm thinking, well, why would you follow Satan? <laughs> you know, I said Jesus would get away and rest in the presence of the Father in prayer. So resting is profound. Uh, I saw this picture, and these two words came to mind. Imagination and creativity. Do you want to know these kids? I want to know these kids. Because uh, they're going to be running something someday that I'm going to be using on a device probably. You know, um, um, Imagination and creativity. I, I, front page of the Wall Street Journal yesterday, uh, I saw that the, 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 the acting CEO of Uber uh, is Ryan Graves. And I thought, my gosh, it was 15 years ago that he was standing in our house as this gangly kid on his way to college. I'm thinking, I hope he got something out of all that Sunday school and youth group experience because wouldn't you like to know that there's somebody sitting at that desk right now in that troubled company who has an imaginative, creative way of saying, God, what do you want to do in the midst of this mess? Imagination and creativity, profound ways to thrive. Uh, laughter, I love laughing. One of the things I love about this church, uh, this is a church that laughs a lot. There's a lot of joy in this place, and laughter allows us to thrive. Uh, there's nothing better than in a horrible situation, somebody at some point, once you get over the shock and trauma of what you're experiencing, makes a funny observation, and it's just you know, that gallows humor sort of thing. You just think, what a gift it is to be able to laugh. Not derisively, not mockingly, but to laugh at the foibles of being a human being. 
eating. Let's linger on this one for a while. I mean, how fun is it uh, to sit at a table with a bunch of people you don't know or, or you know really well and, and be able to tell stories and hang out and talk? And um, uh, if, if the company is great, even a vegan can be happy at a barbecue, right? I mean, the idea is that when you're eating, uh, people usually let their guard down and they're more natural and they unwind and you have some great things that happen around the table. Uh, work. You know, for us, uh, work is ennobling. Uh, for a lot of the world, historically, work has been something that everybody wants to get out of because it's humiliating to have to work. But you know, we get, we, again, we take our notice from God himself. God worked and then God rested after his work. He created this amazing world and then he rested. So we see that work is ennobling. Now, of course, work can be humiliating if people are abusing people in their work. But we think work is one of the most profound things that we can do. We need a rhythm of work and rest. Sometimes you have people who are over-functioning and they just work, work, work because they're afraid to face the rest of their life. They over-function in that part and under-function in some of the more significant parts like relationships. But if, if you don't find joy in your work, you gotta change the way you see your work. Your work is an offering to God. Never ever describe your work as I'm just a, and then fill in the blank. Uh, one, one of my heroes is a, uh, is a kindergarten, kindergarten, kindergarten teacher because she is amazing. And I, I was standing out in my front yard and this lady was walking by with a kid on the way to school. I said, hey, who's your teacher? And she said this lady's name. I said, oh my gosh, she's awesome. And the lady lit up. She goes, that lady is awesome. I said, she was awesome 20 years ago. And the fact that she's still doing this, you know? So she loves her work. And if you ask her, why do you do what you do? She goes, I love it. And, and of course, she's a follower of Jesus at a public school. She'll say, I love the fact that I'm serving Christ by loving these kids. Uh, play. One of the things, that unfortunately, that we often outgrow is imagination and play. Uh, we all say we're not very imaginative or creative. That's because as kids, we can think and do anything. And as kids, we play. I love the fact that play is so significant throughout all of life. And when I look at one of the big deficits for me, I need, I need to play more. We all need to play more, to find something that allows us to be kids again. There's a 10-year-old kid in you. Are you paying attention to that 10-year-old kid? There's a five-year-old kid. Uh, and it's fun to see people play in a way that isn't just competitive or comparative, but rather it's collaborative. We're having a great time. I've never, I've, I've never heard a kid say they're bored. As long as they have another kid, and they can have a stick and a can in a dirt lot. And somehow they'll make play out of that, right? I've seen plenty of kids who are bored out of their gourd because they have a lot of stuff, but no one to play with. Compassion. We thrive by being compassionate. When you're in the midst of your own pity party, I'll tell you the quickest way to get out of your pity party is to care about other people. Again, not to deny your issues or to deny what you're feeling, but as you process your issues and process why you're feeling what you're feeling, to care for other people will accelerate that process. Because when we start to become compassionate, we get out of ourselves. And because we're focusing on others and their needs, all of a sudden we start to see our own from a bigger and better perspective. How about problem solving? Uh, I think this is one of the greatest things in life, to get to thinking about how to solve problems. You know that God doesn't give us problems, but God allows us to have problems. Why? Because we grow and thrive by having to deal with problems. You want a problem-free life? You're, you're, you're praying and asking for something you do not want. A problem-free life is a boring and superficial life. 
If you're in a relationship and you say, we've never had a problem, then you do not know the people you're in a relationship with. <laughs> They're not letting you know who they really are. I'd be concerned about that. Uh, and if you're not letting people know who you are, they'll probably never have a problem with you because they don't know you well enough to know that what, to what really makes you, you. And so problem solving is a creative way of engaging the real world around us. Think about the people who have taken the time to solve problems. They changed the world. Uh, there was a, 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 on the island of Sicily a long time ago, a guy named King Hiero, H-I-E-R-O, had a quantity of gold, and he gave it to a goldsmith to have it made into a crown. And when he got the, the, the crown back, it was awesome, but he also said he was suspicious. He thought, how do I know I got all my gold back in this crown? What if the goldsmith, because they're, they're goldsmiths, they know how to do stuff with metal. What if, they had, what if that goldsmith mixed base metal into my gold, and, and now they have my gold, and I have a, a lead gold crown, right? So he was curious about that. So he, he, he picked on a, a guy who he thought was really smart. He said, Archimedes, you need to figure out if I got my gold in my crown. And if you don't figure it out, you'll die. He was a great motivator. You know, um, maybe you've had bosses like that. Uh, you know, punishment will continue until morale improves, you know, sort of a thing. And so Archimedes was like, oh, no. So he goes home, and of all things he does, uh, he, he gets in a bath, gets in the, his version of a jacuzzi, right? He has a, he's a wooden bathtub. He fills it with water, it's heated water, and then he gets in it, and he's sitting there thinking, he's literally stewing in his juices, thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. How could I figure this out? Well, he notices that because where the water was sitting for a long time and it's wood, there's a mark, there's a line on the tub. And now that he's sat in the tub, the water level has risen in the tub. And all of a sudden, he figures out displacement. And so he gets so excited that that's it. I just need to know the weight of the, of the gold and to see what the weight of the crown is. And he's going to figure this thing out. So he jumps out of the bath naked, runs down the streets of Syracuse, yelling, Eureka, I found it. Um, I think Eureka really means I'm naked, but you know, <laughs> uh, I forgot to put my clothes on. Uh, but so this is problem solving. The power of problem solving is that if you resist the problem and just be upset with it, you'll never solve it if you enter into it. And that's why sometimes you wrestle, wrestle, wrestle with a problem, and it's not till later, doing something entirely different. You go, hey, wait, that's it. You wake up in the middle of the night. And so problem solving is one of the most creative things you can do to thrive. What is the big problem facing you right now? What are the big problems that are enveloping you? causing you great heartburn, fear, anxiety for yourself or for other people. How about see that as a place where God wants to meet you so that you can thrive? Not in the problem, but as you work through the problem. How about romance? Oh my gosh, romance. What a great way to thrive in romance. Um, but then again, romance is a head fake. Uh, you know, uh, because what we'll find out in a few moments is that unless we go deep in relationship, even something as wonderful as romance uh, causes us, us not to thrive. But romance itself is a way of thriving. When you have a relationship grounded in reality and it's grounded in righteousness, all of a sudden romance becomes this beautiful expression of something deep that's there. Romance without a deep relationship mocks what isn't there. If you're, if you're romantically involved with someone and there's no deep relationship that's righteous, your romance is going to fade very quickly because there's nothing substantial holding it together. But out of a deep relationship of love between a man and a woman, especially in a marriage, 
it's powerful to see the power of romance and to keep that flame um, lit and, and, and burning brightly because you're still saying, I'm curious about you. Who are you? What does it mean to be in relationship with you? I love the fact that we're a generation-to-generation church. We have chosen to be intergenerational as a core value of our church. We think there's so much value in learning with one another, from one another. Uh, if I look back and say, gosh, you know, how did we raise our kids? I would say it's a 50-50 deal, 50% Janet, 50% her mom. And so, you know, um, <laughs> our kids used to cry when they'd leave grandma's presence because she had such an impact on them. You know, Janet would go, what am I, chopped liver? You know, but the fact is it was so neat to see the impact of our extended family on our kids. I hope you're experiencing that in your life, whatever age and stage you're in, whether they're your own blood relations or not, that you're in a relationship with people on either side of you that represent other generations, a powerful way to thrive. There's nothing more fun than hearing somebody tell you their experience from a different generational place. Now, how about these kinds of things? Bible study, prayer, worshiping God. All these things are profound ways to thrive. See, for a Christian, we'll, also, we'll often start with, we're worshiping God, Bible study, prayer. And, and then we discount those ones I mentioned earlier. But all of them together, God uses to help us thrive. And the best part of it is that it happens uh, most completely in Christ-centered community, where Jesus is at the center of a community, and people are coming together around him in relationship with him and through him with one another. Profound things happen. People thrive. Because even when we're not together, we're still part of the community. We've internalized this experience of community that even when we're far from each other, we have a sense of being part of it. What a profound way to thrive. Well, so Jesus, on the last night that he had his disciples together, uh, you can see this in John's Gospel, chapter 15. He said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And he's telling them the secret, the source of profound Christ-centered community. Now remain in my love. You've, you've experienced my love. Now remain in it. Notice he didn't say remain in this room where we're having this long dinner together. The, the, the equivalent would be saying, gee, let's, let's remain in church together. Uh, that would be a disaster. That would be a disaster. We'd miss, the, we'd miss the whole rest of life. Somebody one time asked G.K. Chesterton, if you were stuck on a desert island, uh, what, what, what book would you want? And they, they thought, because he was this profound Christian and social commentator, he'd say the Bible. And he said, I'd want a really good book on shipbuilding. <laughs> yeah, I like that. It sounds spiritual to say, I, I just want the Bible. How about something to get you off the island to get you back in the community with people? The first thing that Robinson Crusoe did, if you ever read that great, brilliant uh, book, Robinson Crusoe, Robinson Crusoe is, is on this island alone, right? And uh, he is, he's this pagan guy, no time, no need for God. But he finds a Bible as he's offloading the ship that's, that's, that's broken up uh, on the, on the, <clears throat> on the, uh, the uh, reef. Of all the stuff he brought in, there was a Bible, and he was so bored out of his gourd, he started reading the Bible. And as soon as he was reading the Bible, he came into this relationship with God. He realized, God wants me to be in relationship with him. He wants me to experience his love. And then after that experience, uh, he, all, all Robinson Crusoe could think about was, I want to share this with other people. And of course, when Friday shows up, his whole idea was, I want to disciple Friday so that we can be brothers in Christ and, and share God's love together. So he says, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love. That is not to say if you're perfect, 
but rather if you take seriously the content I'm revealing to you in relationship with me, you're gonna thrive. Just as I've kept my Father's commands and thrive in his love, remain in his love. Remain in this sense is continue, deepen, grow. He says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So we have a great template, a great paradigm to internalize and to refer to because the very Holy Spirit of God lives in us now. We can say, Lord, I don't feel loving. I'm not acting loving. Show me how I can be loving as you love me in this situation. <clears throat> Greater love has known than this, Jesus said, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Laying down your life for people uh, isn't just, hey, I'm gonna take a bullet for you, I'm gonna drown trying to save you from drowning. It's really this, I'm willing to share my precious time with you. The minutes and hours and days that I'll never get back, I'm willing to share with you. My, the substance of my resources, I, I think I might need them, but I know you need them right now, so I'm gonna share them with you. That's an incredible gift. If you're a, a mom here of young children, let me tell you the standard for you laying down your life for your friends. You ready for this? If you're a mother with small children, here's how you know you're laying down your life for, for your friends. When your friends say, hey, would you give me the name and number of your babysitter? There'll be a very long pause as you reflect on the implications of that. You'll be doing this quick cross-checking. Do we have the same social calendar? Do we go on vacation? Do we have, oh, there's a gap. I don't think I'll need my babysitter all the time. And so you'll know you're a dear friend and somebody's giving you the, the deep love of their heart when they say, yes, here's her name and her number, right? So you're my friends. If you take me seriously, Jesus says. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master's business is all about. He just doesn't know what his master's business is. Uh, instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. God is not holding back on us. God is revealing everything we need to know to be in relationship with him. Now, there's plenty of other things we'd like to know, but we, that'll be for another time. But right now, he's given us everything we need to know. He's not withheld one thing that you and I need to know to thrive in his love. You did not choose me, he says, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that, you, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Why? Because we start to ask things that really resonate with what the Father's will is, things that will bless us and make us thrive. Notice that when, when, when you pray, if you're asking for things that will make you thrive in, in the most profound ways, God gives you those things. If you're asking for things that will not make you thrive, he will withhold those things. Now, you might quibble with God about, well, I think that would make me thrive. God never withholds any good thing. He's a, he's a giver of every good and perfect gift. So as you pray in his name, as you pray according to his will, not, not as in guessing his will, saying, hey, I know your will is for me to thrive, Lord. This is what I want. I think I need this. Trust that God will give you what you need when you need it, as you need it. And perhaps... Oftentimes, what you find in the silence of God's answer to your prayer is that, well, yeah, get to work. Get to work on that. You're praying for me. I'll give you what you need. He might be answering that, that, that prayer that you make right that moment, but you're not going to see it realized for months or years down the road as you get in gear with God. So love creates community, and it does that through relationships. It's not just happy feelings. Gee, I went to church, had happy feelings. Uh, 
it's becoming a church, becoming a community through relationships. And you know what? Relationships are messy, messy, messy. To the point that churches stop thriving because they start looking at each other's faults instead of God's promises. They look at each other's lack of qualities versus God's qualities. We look at each other's incapacities and inadequacies to deliver what we think we are trying to deliver. Instead of saying, God, you, you can, you can fulfill every promise you make. And so relationships are going to be messy. Any relationship in depth is going to be messy. I never say this at the end of a wedding, but I've done hundreds of weddings. And as a part of me, at the end of every wedding, I want to lean over and say, let's talk soon. Let me, you know, let's talk about how it's going to be going for you. Because I know everybody has the right intentions about, I want to get it right, I'm ready. We do premarital counseling. We work people with people to help them be prepared. But the fact is, as you move into relationships, they're complicated and messy. But God meets us in the midst of those relationships. He wants us to be wise, first of all, how we choose relationships and make good choices, not, not choices that are doomed to, to chaos because the, the, the conditions aren't right for a good relationship. But when we've been very thoughtful and prayerful and move into a relationship, as much as it seems like exactly the right thing and everybody's confirming it, it's going to be messy. So where do you go with that? You go deep with that. It's the love of God that's going to help us learn to be men and women, husbands, wives, parents, friends, employers, employees. It's all about relationships. Community is all about relationships. If you're uh, an introvert or you're an extrovert, you need to be in community. Notice, though, that community itself is not the answer. It's that Christ in the midst of the community, because community very quickly can become an idol if we make it an ideal. Just like love is. Love is not God. God is love. But it's the love of God that allows us to be in relationship with him. Community is not an end in itself. It's simply the framework for us to be in relationship with one another. So we don't heighten community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called Life Together. He said, be careful. In, in building a life together that you don't idealize your vision of what it's supposed to be. You idealize your vision of marriage, you'll crush your marriage. You idealize your, your version and your vision for parenthood, you'll crush your kids. But if you enter into every relationship that, that it, with the idea that, Lord, teach me how to be faithful and, and, and fulfill my responsibility in this, not to overfunction or underfunction, but to follow through on my commitments here, all of a sudden you'll notice that those relationships thrive even in the face of discontinuities of personality or difficult circumstances. So we build relationships being vulnerable and taking risks. This is the price we pay. Are you willing to be vulnerable? Are you willing to take risks? Here's what vulnerability means. It means that you're willing to say to people, would you please give me honest feedback about how you experienced me? When was the last time you did that? I don't like doing that. Or if I do it, I don't leave any time for people to respond. Like I say, hey, Lee, t give me some feedback about what you're seeing. Thank you so much. Anyway, so um, the other one is this, is that when people just voluntarily give you feedback, unrequested, easy to be offended, but maybe God's talking to you because you're not asking, God's offering. He's offering through people. The Proverbs say, the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. Your enemies will say, you're awesome. Keep doing that. Your friends will say, hey, I'm concerned for you. Or, hey, I'm really seeing some stuff I'm so encouraged by. Keep doing that. 
But when somebody comes to you and says, hey, I'm just seeing some stuff, it's troubling me, I feel awkward even bringing it up, but can we talk? Don't be offended. Even if they're awkward and, and not that smooth in the way they tell you, take it for what it is. Somebody who cares enough to give you some feedback. And if they're, if they're trying to hurt you and wound you, you'll figure that out quickly. But don't be too quick to assume that it's a hurt or a wound they're inflicting on you. They might be offering you a gift. And don't make this mistake. You get old enough in life that you say, I don't need any more input from anybody. This is the bane and, the, and, and the, the big downside of getting old. We assume that we don't need to keep learning and growing. And when people try to give us feedback, we're offended because we're so senior, we're so experienced, we're so accomplished. If you have a big fat resume and a big bank account, you feel like you are gold-plated and impervious to the need for input. You're in great danger. You are at risk. At any age or stage in life, you are at risk when you think you know everything. Any one of us graduating from high school could probably have a teacher say to us with a straight face, you'll never be as smart as you are right now. A friend of mine heard that from his teacher and he said, that's awesome. My teacher gets it. My teacher gets me. Only later in life did he realize, oh, my teacher was giving me a coded message. So he was saying, Bill, you are so out of it, you don't even know how out of it you are. And so for the rest of his life, he kept, he'd tell that story constantly saying, I so thank God for that teacher. Who's your teacher? Is it your kids right now? Your spouse, your friends, an employee, an employer? Uh, are you willing to be vulnerable and take risks? If you are, you're gonna build some powerful, profoundly satisfying relationships. So, ready to dive into community. It's a little scary, I know to leave your little sphere of isolation and to take the leap. Even the people watching you do it would be going, oh my gosh, but it's awesome. Why? Because you start to belong. You start to belong. And what happens when you belong long enough? You start to become. The differentiation becomes clear. You are a unique, unrepeatable miracle of God's handiwork. You might be swimming in the school, but you are uniquely you. And what happens when you become what God wants you to become as he's working in you through his spirit and his word and his people? You start to bless others in Jesus' name. You start to offer everything you have, time, talent, treasure, to the Lord and to people in his name. And you know what happens when you bless others in Jesus' name? You thrive. And the narrative of your life is connected to the narrative of God to the point that your life in Christ becomes a testimony of God's grace testimony literally I'm telling you the truth I'm telling you what I have experienced and what I've seen a testimony is a powerful thing why because it's the hope that is within you that you're willing to share with other people and in that hope you will thrive so Lord Jesus that's my prayer for me for my brothers and sisters here that in relationship with you in a in a relationship of, of relationships a family of families gathered around you We've experienced, we could experience in practical ways, right where we live, the promises that you've made in your word, the promises that you have fulfilled in history and that you continue to fulfill in people who take you seriously. And so, Lord, we open our hearts and our minds to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the ushers come up for the offering, we just want to remind you that we do have a team out in the prayer garden behind the sanctuary waiting to pray for you if you have something on your heart. And we also have a prayer request 
piece of paper in the bulletin, you can go ahead and fill that out and our prayer team would be happy to pray for you this week. Just go ahead and put that in the offering basket as it comes by. If you'll go ahead and pray with me now for the offering. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all of the blessings that you've poured into our lives. We recognize and just thank you knowing that every gift that we have is because of your grace and your love towards us. And so, Lord, we ask now that you bless the offerings that we give back to you. Lord, we ask that you just soften our hearts so that we give cheerfully, Lord, knowing that you've asked us to trust you with all of the gifts you've given us, Lord. And so as we give back, we just ask to see those multiplied to bring more people into relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's hear it.
Dineen, thank you. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Well, God wants you to say amen because amen means so be it. It means I agree with you, God. Will you agree with God about who he is and who you are? Because that's the beginning of life and that's what it means to thrive. When you say amen because I know God is here with me. I know God is in this. I know God can see me through this. That's not denial. That's a decision. Decide for him today. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. That means he's looking at you with those eyes that say, you are my beloved. He'll do that both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If there's anybody here who's found in faith, anybody here who
Yeshua. They are gorgeous. 